Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Wednesday, June 2nd edition of the Basement Academy. Uh, as we go into the gymnasium of the soul today, get ready for a little bit of a workout. <laughs> so let's begin with a morning psalm uh, on day two. Love the day two psalms. Psalm 62. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down? This leaning wall, this tottering fence. They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath, the high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard. That you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. Psalm 62. <clears throat> Love the theme of salvation being the work of God. My salvation comes from him. Again, the, the Old Testament concept or understanding of salvation is rescue, primarily rescue and deliverance. So my deliverance, my rescue, my exodus, okay, God uh, leading the people out. That was fully uh, the work of God. He alone is my rock and my salvation. So this, this reality that salvation is not something we do. We don't save ourselves. We don't rescue ourselves. We don't deliver ourselves. My salvation and my honor. So not only my salvation, <laughs> but my honor depends on God. And, and we would do well to, to keep that in mind. And it, I think Psalm 62 will serve as a nice backdrop as we begin reading and reflecting upon the book of Ephesians. Um, okay, now yesterday I said, <clears throat> I love this book uh, because of its balance, its order, its symmetry. So chapters one to three, focusing primarily on kind of theological foundations, kind of the indicative, these are things God indicates that are true, okay? Chapters four through six, the pastoral practical imperatives. These are things we should do. <laughs> so what is and what ought? This is the way God has made the world to be, this is what God is doing and wants how he wants his people to respond. So 
So chapter one is going to dive right into these theological foundations. Now, in saying how much I enjoy Ephesians, um, if I conveyed in any way that it's um, simple or, uh, I don't want to say this, um, as I was reading back through these opening, uh, these opening verses, um, some may not like what's getting ready to happen. So, so let, let me say this. <clears throat> well, let, let, let me read. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a typical Pauline greeting. And he echoes his Damascus Road conversion. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. So there's this kind of veiled understanding or allusion to, yeah, I'm here because of God's intervention, this this will, this action of God. So just like, like this, this will show up a little bit later uh, in, in Ephesians. Okay, so the greeting is a standard greeting, nothing really remarkable other than this, you know, this backdrop, <clears throat> the saints in Ephesus. So to be a, 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 a believer is to be sanctified, to be set apart, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Okay, it, the, the action here is going to be in verses 3 through 14. Okay, so this is going to be the bulk of our reflection today. Now, what I'm getting ready to read, uh, it in my Bible looks like two pretty healthy paragraphs. In the original language is one sentence. Paul writes this enormous, single, sprawling, complex, but very intentionally crafted sentence. Now, our Bibles punctuate several times, but there's also some punctuation, some theological punctuation that is in this sentence, and we'll try to unpack that. So let me read the sentence, okay? Beginning verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. 
In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. One sentence? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I didn't count the words, but it's 200 words or something. I mean, you just look at it. It might even be more than that. So, um, the work of translation is always challenging. You have to take the original language, Greek, here, and you have to find the right word because words have ranges of meaning when you go from one language to another. Um, and then you have to somehow punctuate that in a way that captures the flow of thought, but you have a sprawling single sentence. Everything I just read in the original is understood to be one sentence. Wow. It's like Paul is... Is, is so caught up, he can't stop. You know, you know, like a little child who sometimes, mommy, 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 I went to school today and, and when I was there, I met Billy and, and Billy and I went out on the playground and it's just, it just runs all together. And yet within this, it's, it's not this um, kind of rambling of a little child. This is highly mature thought. So, there's a Trinitarian shape to this passage. There's reference to the Father and to the Son and to the Spirit, okay? And so, <clears throat> praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, it's the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he, that is the Father, chose us in him, that is Christ. So, the Father chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. Okay, so God had us in mind. God had this salvation in mind. God had Christ in mind. All of this is in mind before God said, let there be light. <laughs> and so, so praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he chose us in him, for the Father chose us in Christ before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. So that's the purpose of this choice of God. Hmm. In love, he, that is the Father, predestined us to be adopted as his sons. We understand that to be inclusive, obviously, of, of women. He adopted us as his children through Jesus Christ. So he, the Father, predestined us to be adopted as his children through Christ. So so we're chosen in Christ, we're adopted through Christ in accordance with his, that is the Father's, pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he, the Father, has freely given us in the one he loves. That would be Christ. So, so there's this 
father-son relationship that keeps being lifted up. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms in Christ. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Christ. And then this notion that he has freely given us grace in Christ, the one he loves. So there's this father-son relationship that we are somehow participating in. He chose us in Christ. He, he redeemed us in Christ. So there's this reality. But it is the father who is the focus of these opening few verses, verses three through six. The father who plans our salvation, who plans or he chooses us, he predestines us, um, he purposes us. There is a purpose, there is a will in accordance with his will. So, <clears throat> so there's this idea of the father who plans salvation, who foresees and, and predestines. I'm going to come to predestinate. We'll, we'll, we'll get that a little bit later. Okay, so hold on to your hat. So <clears throat> the opening portion of this big sprawling sentence is the father. Then <clears throat> verse seven, in him, okay, so this is the one the father loves, in him that is in Christ, we have redemption. So now the shift is to focus on the son. In him, that is Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Now we're talking about Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, so that redemption and forgiveness are understood to be synonymous there, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. So, so again, the father is still in view, but now we're kind of seeing it through the son. So now the father has purposed something in Christ, this good pleasure to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. Oh my goodness. So God who plans our salvation has this understanding there will come a fullness of times. Ecclesiastes, there's a time and a season for everything. And so God has this purpose that will be put into effect. Mm. They will be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. Salvation wasn't willy-nilly, but when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That's Galatians chapter 4. So Paul understands the father who plans all this out <clears throat> secures our salvation through Jesus Christ. This is the second part of the Trinitarian shape of salvation. The son who secures through his blood. And in chapter two, we're gonna read more about the cross of Jesus, what, what the cross accomplishes, okay? So this, this uh, purpose of God through Jesus Christ comes into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. God had to get things set up. The promise to Abraham uh, that is at this writing some 2,000 years old. For us, it's 4,000 years old, right? 
roughly 2000 BC is when God, we understand, called out to Abraham. Abraham. So the times uh, are God, God's bringing salvation about through Jesus Christ when the times have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. This summing up of all things, bringing all things back together. The world split apart by sin and human rebellion in the garden and beyond. God is now bringing all things in heaven and on earth under one head, Jesus Christ. In him, that is in Christ, we were also chosen. There's this theme of being chosen again. Having been predestined, there's that word again, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So, so we're back to the Father who plans our salvation, but it's in Christ that this happens. So, so it's not just God plans salvation and it is so, but he puts a plan into effect. God's plan is to save the world through his son. Hmm. In order that we, who were the first hope in Christ, now he's making a reference to we Jews. It doesn't say that, but it's this Jew-Gentile reality that sits behind it. We talked yesterday in the introduction that Ephesus is a Gentile city. Okay, it's in Asia Minor. It's a significant leading city, but it's primarily Gentile. It's outside, significantly outside, uh, geographically removed from the Holy Land. Okay, <clears throat> and so we who were the first to hope in Christ, so the gospel first came to Jews, right? At Pentecost. It is Abraham's children that first hear the message of Jesus Christ, but then the gospel, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, and so the gospel has spread. So in order that we, were who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory, and you also, you Gentiles also, were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So this we and you, there's a, a historic reference to the Jew-Gentile reality. We're going to see a lot more about that in chapter 2. Okay, so uh, the father plans, the son secures through his blood, all of this salvation, redemption takes place, the forgiveness of sins. And then the final two verses of this sprawling sentence, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. So now there's an echo to the Acts uh, sermon, Acts chapter two. Believe and you will receive the Holy Spirit, this promise to you and to your children. So having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That phrase keeps showing up to the praise of his glory, verse six, to the, or to the praise of his glorious grace. Um, we are, uh, we first hoped in Christ might be for the praise of his glory, verse uh, 12, and then again in verse 14. So there's this punctuation. The father is the focus of the first few verses. The son, again, with the father still in view, uh, verses seven through 12, focuses on 
the work of Jesus Christ. Verses 13 and 14, now there is this Holy Spirit who seals or marks or guarantees like a down payment, okay? It's this notion kind of like of earnest money, down payment that is given. And then this father, son, spirit that, again, you, you don't see it quite as clearly when you just read it all through, but if you go back and uh, open up your own Bibles and read through, you'll see there's this punctuation to the praise of his glory that keeps showing up. Now, <clears throat> This is a, it's a, it's an enormous amount of material to digest. Again, it's, it's one sentence. It's one sentence. (laughs) It, it, it's easier to almost diagram it out. Uh, In seminary, we had to do this. We would diagram sentences, which is probably something most of us haven't done since ninth or 10th grade English class, right? <laughs> to, to be able to diagram the sentence and find out kind of just all these dependent clauses and what's the independent clause and the dependent clause. And so you've got these phrases and prepositions, all this stuff that's going on. When you diagram, what you see is you've got a father, son, spirit, a Trinitarian shape to this passage the, the essence of the passage, what, what it's really about is salvation. But, but that word doesn't show up much. It, it does show up, the gospel of your salvation, but it talks about redemption. It talks about inheritance. It talks about forgiveness of sins. It talks about God purposing to bring all things together in Christ. And so salvation as a robust concept. Probably we'll lean into this a little bit more tomorrow. Salvation is something that is robust. Too often we think of salvation in some kind of transactional way. I step up to the window, the customer service window, the ticket counter. I would like a ticket to heaven. I believe in Jesus Christ. I don't have to work. I can't pay. So I just announce my belief. Thank you. I get my salvation ticket. I put it in my pocket. I go live my life. There is some um, kind of mentality. It's never explicit. It's um, It's never said quite, it'll never be said like that. But it, it sometimes is implied. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? If you have, then you are saved. Yes, I believe all of that, okay? So if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are saved. I believe that. But to be saved now is more than just having a little ticket that's in your pocket that when it comes time to die, you can pull that out and get to pearly gates and say, I got my salvation ticket. I I said yes to Jesus back when I was 14 years old. That is not salvation. Salvation is, and we're going to explore this in the whole book of Ephesians. This is why I love it. Salvation is redemption. It is rescue. It is deliverance. It is forgiveness. It is restoration. It is reunion. If you recall that uh, theology series we did last year, go back and look at the salvation section. I forget which <laughs> which of the theology 101, 201, 301, 401 it was. I apologize. I sh- I'll, I'll have that for you tomorrow. 
<clears throat> salvation is whole. It's robust. It's large. It's expansive. It's not just a small little transaction. And anybody who thinks salvation is just a transaction, all I got to do is say yes to Jesus. I'm all taken care of. I'm going to go live my life how I want because I got my ticket. They do not understand salvation. It is restoring us body, mind, spirit. It's restoring us in relationship. It's restoring us in community. It's restoring us to God's intended purposes for humanity. He created Adam and Eve to bear his image, to live in the garden, to, to have a family, be fruitful and multiply, uh, to tend the garden, to build a culture, to enjoy God forever. And so this opening passage is, I mean, he wastes no time. He doesn't, he doesn't kind of work you up to it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, uh, the faithful in Christ, uh, grace and peace to you, and boom, then he's in. And uh, what we're going to sit with this passage again tomorrow, okay? So we're not just going to move on. I want to sit with it for a, a couple days at least. I love this passage. <clears throat> there are there are pieces of it that can be meditated on at length. That he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I think there's a, a, a Trinitarian reflection there. Uh, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Father, Son, Spirit. And so before the full concept of the Trinity had been figured out by the people of God, it wasn't really a couple centuries in before this understanding fully of the Father, Son, and Spirit uh, being together, one God, three persons. But it's passages like this that help the early church to draw conclusions so that we can then have an Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father. <laughs> and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. So, so today is just to, one, get you in, just dive on in, and you know, we, don't, we, don't, we don't tiptoe into the shallow end before splashing into the deep end. We dive into the deep end, okay, right away. And we're, we're paddling around, and you're, where, where's the bottom here? You know, you're kind of go, oh, okay, there, there's a lot here. But there's a shape to this. And so that's, that's the key for today. A Trinitarian shape to this passage, a Trinitarian shape to salvation. The Father planning, purposing, choosing, calling, it, predestining. Okay, we'll talk about that tomorrow. The Son securing uh, through his blood. There was an action. Something happened in space and in time to secure our salvation. And then the Spirit sealed that. It applied that to us. When we believe, we are marked. And the image is that of, you kind of picture the old wax seal uh, or, or an embossed seal that, that this, this proves authority, okay? So this, the Spirit has sealed us. But all of this is to the praise of his glory, these sections are punctuated. So the, the takeaways today, salvation one is God's work. 
kind of echoes back to Psalm 62. My salvation and my honor depend on God. Now, that psalm was written thousand years-ish, maybe, before Christ. But salvation has always been the work of God. Salvation always is the work of God. We never save ourselves. Moses did not save the Israelites. God used Moses as the mediator as part of, so, so God worked through Moses as God works through his son, okay? But salvation is God's work. We don't save ourselves. Can't do it. Don't even try, okay? But salvation is for God's glory. So we are the object of God's love. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ. It's in love that he does it, but it is for the praise of his glory so that God be praised. And so he cares for us. And too often, I think in our modern contemporary uh, church and society, we think of salvation as all about us. My feelings, my brokenness, my pain, my hurts. Yes, God cares about all that. Yes, he does. But he sets us back on our feet. He puts us back together that we might live to the praise of his glory. The chief end of man, we Presbyterians say, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so salvation, the, the, the bringing us back into relationship through Christ is a part of that. We've got to, he's got to put us back together before we can live to the praise of his glory, not to the praise of our own glory, our own name. Okay, so... I think that we'll probably stop here. This is a <laughs> this is maybe a good stopping place, huh? We'll pull back and kind of work in this passage again tomorrow and kind of mm, wrestle with what does that mean that God chose us and predestined us twice he talks uses that language. Um so so hopefully you'll come back for one more day uh, as we uh, as we uh, continue with this wonderful, wonderful book. So let, let, let's close with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you <laughs> for having us in mind before you even created the world. And you had Jesus in mind, Jesus dwelling eternally with you, but you knew that he was going to come forth when the times had reached fulfillment and be born and to live and to offer his life and to rise from the dead and be ascended to your right hand and pour forth the gracious spirit that marks us and seals us. We, we struggle to understand this. Our, our minds are so limited. Our, our capacities are so limited, but we thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for your a spirit inspiring him to write this sprawling sentence that, that offers us so much hope and joy and comfort, even as we struggle to understand it. So Father, help us to live even this day more fully to the praise of your glory. And we pray this in the name of the chosen one, who is our Redeemer, even Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit bless you, keep you, watch over you, and save you this day and forevermore.